Hi, I'm Len Epp from LeanPub, and in this episode of the Front Matter podcast, I'll be interviewing Yoka Torres. Based in Sao Paulo, Yoka is a technologist and manager who helps companies and their leaders bridge the gap between business and technology through education, coaching, and advisory services on product management and digital transformation. Yoka is the founder and principal consultant of Kiako, where he leverages his exp- expertise in leading and managing successful digital products across various domains, such as SaaS, e-commerce, fitness, real estate, and web hosting. You can follow him on Twitter at Yoka Torres and check out his website at gyaco.com. Yoko is the author of the Lean Pub book, Digital Transformation and Product Culture, How to Put Technology at the Center of Your Company's Strategy. In the book, he answers many questions facing businesses undergoing digital transformation, sharing his learning and experience so that you can drive successful digital transformation processes yourself. In this interview, we're going to talk about his background and career, his book on the nature, challenges, and opportunities presented by digital transformation and product management, and at the end, we'll talk a little bit about his experience as a writer and author. So thank you very much for being on the Lean Pub Front Matter podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me, man. Thanks. Um, I always like to start these interviews by asking people for their origin story. Uh, so maybe how, you know, where you grew up, how you first got into the career you got into. So I know you studied you know, sort of computers and technology at university and things like that. And then, yeah, tell us a little bit of your story. Sure. So uh, I've graduated as a computer engineer from a, a college here in, in Brazil called ITA. It's a sort of MIT here in Brazil, considered. And uh, from there, uh, in, the, in back in the 90s, I had my own startup. Uh, back then, it not used to call a startup. It was just a, a tech company or a company. And it was one of the first uh, internet service providers here in Brazil. And uh, we sold the company for uh, an American company. And um, I stayed in this American company and I worked in this American company as a product director because this company was acquiring uh, ISPs around the globe to create a big uh, ISP and make the IPO back in the 2000s. That was the, the trend back then. And uh, my main mission there was to create a common portfolio f- from the, the acquired companies. Uh, I left this company because I was traveling too much. Then I joined a friend of mine from ETA. Uh, Gilberto Maldner uh, in his company called LocalWeb, which is the biggest web hosting company here in Brazil. I stayed there for 11 years, helping diversify their product portfolio. And uh, when I was there, I wrote two books, the Startup Guide and the Product Management, already published in the LeanPub uh, platform. And um, after 11 years there, I decided to move to a SaaS company called Contazoo, an ERB for small businesses here in Brazil. I stayed there for uh, two years also. And then I received an invitation to join a company called Jimpez, a Brazilian company that was already um, uh, going international. Uh, what they offer was uh, a corporate benefit. So companies could offer their employees access to a huge a network of gyms and studios, like 50,000 gyms and studios in 14 countries. And uh, I went there to head the, the, the product management as the CPO. And uh, I stayed there for two years and then I received a, an invitation, a very interesting invitation from a real estate company, a very traditional real estate company here in Brazil called Lopez. Uh, very traditional and very old. They uh, were like 80 years old. And uh, but already a public company, and they were facing the the competition from uh, startups, very well funded startups here in Brazil called Loft and Kitanda, 
and they were very concerned. Then they went to the stock market. They made um, uh, what we call the follow-on offer, offer additional uh, stock. And they were able to raise 30 billion US dollars and they started their digital transformation journey. And then um, uh, it was missing someone to lead this uh, digital transformation that they made the invitation. And I got uh, a bit afraid because, you know, the, the culture of traditional companies, but uh, decided to accept and see if I was able to bring all my, my expertise to that company. And uh, and then I published my third book on <laughs> product management leadership, but also in MeanPub uh, uh, platform. And then I decided to join the company, stay there for two years, very interesting journey, learned a lot. It's very difficult, but it's, it's doable, but it's very, very difficult. It's much more about mindset than about uh, the digital technology. And I stayed there for two years. And uh, after that, I decided after 30 years of executive career, I decided to make a career change and started to do some consultancy and training and decided to write my fourth book on digital transformation and, and product culture. And that's what I've been doing since uh, mid-2022. Thanks very much for sharing that really great story. I mean, I love the idea of, uh, you know, sort of studying studying you know, computer science basically at, at uh, one of the top sort of technology colleges or the top one in, in Brazil. And then just hitting the ground running like digital digital first, digital everything, right? I mean, including what, like, you know, an ISP kind of world and like creating it from from almost not, or like it was amongst the sort of first sort of companies to do that. Uh, that's just amazing. And then sort of following your path through various, very different kinds of companies and ending up with something that's sort of digital last. And I don't say that as a criticism, but this is a company that was founded in like 1936 or something like that. It did very, very hands-on real estate, things like that. Uh, and I'm really curious what it must've been, like, as you say, you were sort of a bit trepidatious about like the mindset of a company like that. And learn it, like seeing that it's all about mindset is so interesting. And I'd, I'd like to um, talk about that in a bit. But what was it like in those early days in Brazil of sort of creating the first ISP? I mean, what was your, what were you and your colleagues doing every day? Yeah, it was very, very interesting. It was uh, learning what could be done at the time. I mean, it was in the beginning of the the web, like 1992, 1993, 1994, was amazing. I remember when I saw the web for the first time, I got, wow, this is amazing. Because prior to the web, we used to have, I don't know if you know, a BPS, bulletin board systems. We access it through a text interface. And then I got uh, uh, access to, to the only provider here in Brazil called Embratel. And uh, I had the access through the Mosaic uh, web browser prior to the Netscape web browser. And I said, wow, this is amazing. This is going to change everything. And I went to my, to my partners at uh, my, my company. I said, hey, listen, BBS is probably going to die. And, and we need to invest our time and our energy in, in becoming a, a, a ESP. And that's what we did because it really changes everything. And then I started to to create our website and make animated GIFs and make <laughs> CGI scripts. And, and it was fun. It was fun. Very, very fun. <laughs> it's fascinating. And no, that's, that's great. I imagine it was a very exciting time and especially getting bought, you know, being part of something that got created and then bought out uh, kind of relatively early and to sort of rocket ship that that must have been and like must have been very fascinating. But it's I wanted to take the opportunity there because you give you give a great example in the book where you talk about your story 
um, about, you know, what, what it means when we talk about digital products and things like that. Right. So for example, you know, one of the, if you're doing an ISP, your product is serving up the internet to, to sort of like consumers basically. But one thing you can do, if you've got that set up, you can actually sort of think, well, what else can we provide? And we can provide web hosting, for example. And that would be an example of a kind of digital product you can add to a company if it's, if it's, if it's goal, if, or its strategy is to provide sort of internet services, well, what are the other internet services that we can provide? And the very difficult decision it must be to sort of decide this over that. Exactly, exactly. So the very first thing that we did was provide what you said, web hosting. So you 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 need to start to 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 have a presence here in the in the web. So that's the the, the very first. But after that, with the the, the programming, the, the the ability to program initially with uh, uh, CGI scripts, and then other languages like uh, ASP and and uh, other languages, very interesting things started to be. Uh, possible, and uh, then we started to present our clients with the, the, the possibilities, and we started to partner with uh, web developers and uh, software consultancy houses that were able to develop those applications. I remember one of them uh, here in Brazil was connected to a, a, a comics book here in Brazil called uh, Turba da Monica. is a very famous here in Brazil. is is equivalent to Disney in the US. It's a uh, issue de Souza. And uh, uh, this this uh, woman, this web developer, she got the account of uh, Turma da Monica and started to make games for, for kids so they can, back in the 1996, 1997, it was so, so interesting to see this evolution of, of web, not only as a presenting information, but also started to have some... Um, Reaction, you know, yeah. it's uh, very, very interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really fascinating. Um, actually, and and one thing you mentioned, I'm getting the timeline a little bit wrong, but we do like to sort of get into kind of people's personal career choices and developments uh, in the first part of the podcast. And um, so you mentioned traveling too much. Um, yeah. and uh, I guess I'm kind of curious, how much was traveling too much, and and what were there things in your life that you started to realize, you know, I'm I'm missing out on this, or I'm I'm just too tired all the time. What, what, how much was too much travel and what sort of tipped you over to sort of decide to change that that was too much? I know exactly when I was uh, coming back from Europe and going to Argentina. And, but I had to, to, that, that, that there was no direct flight from Europe to Argentina. So I have to, to pause here in Brazil, but it was only a few hours and I could not. Well, back go back home and see my wife. I said, "Oh, this 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 is way too much. This is not not good for me, not good for my my family." So I decided to to quit. That that is not working. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's very interesting. I mean, that's sort of like you know very specific moments. Sometimes that's not it's not always the case for people that they have that, but when you do, you remember it. <laughs> uh, definitely, definitely, and so. Um, and uh, I mean, we can, you sort of told the story already, so maybe we can skip ahead to another really interesting example of the work you've done in your career. So, uh, so you started, you know, sort of, it's all, you know, internet sort of web and stuff like that. And then you, you did a bunch of other things, but then you worked for this really interesting company called Gym Pass, uh, mm -hmm. which is, which is very, uh, which as you, as you say in your book was sort of known as a tech company, but actually had a lot of people doing a lot of manual work. Um, so you were in this curious position of being brought on in. And what was the kind of thing you did there? I mean, was it like, what was the manual work that needed to be either automated or, or 
digitalized. Yeah. So, so what happened there is uh, it, it is a three-sided market, is as we we saw it, because it was connected to gyms, to companies, and to their employees. So we 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 saw it as a three-sided marketplace, and um, we had a connection with the the gyms, and we had a connection with uh, with the companies. And from the companies, we needed to receive their list of employees. And uh, they entered our website and they uploaded their list of employees. But as soon as we received our list of employees, their list of employees, we started to work on the list of employees manually. We entered the information manually in the system because we didn't have a system to do that. And also, what, one thing that we did is um, payroll, payroll discount because one way for the employees to pay for the gym pass uh, uh, monthly access was to have a direct debt into their uh, into their payroll into their oh wow yeah so um, what we also needed to do is to generate this by hand and send to the to the, to the companies every month so the the, the company could um, uh, send this to their to their payroll. So this is the, the kind of thing that we needed to automate. It was all manually, all manually. And the company, so, so you can have a, a better uh, a sense of the, of the issue. The company was already 800 people. It was a good size. 150 people in the US, 150 people in Europe, the other 500 in Latin America, the majority in Brazil. And the tech people was only 30 people, 30 people very, very small compared to the, the organization. So the company had to, to, to have a big operations team, like 200 people. So it was very, very embarrassed, a lot of manual operations. And another thing that this operation uh, team uh, needed to do is uh, whenever needed to visit a client, they needed to generate a report on, on, on the users using the benefit and and uh, all the visits they were doing to to GMs. So this was done by hand. They extracted the information from the system and went on and put on a on a, a PowerPoint or a Google Slides. So all done by hand manually. So a lot of things to automate. That's that's just such a fascinating story. I mean, and you know, anyone who's been involved in the kind of startup world to some extent knows you just kind of get going and you do what you have to do. Um, yeah, I mean the, the limited experience I've had with it, but the idea of dealing with like payroll in multiple companies down to the individual employee level. And you can just, I can just imagine all this, like, I mean, what people might be wondering, oh, that's dumb. Why would it be so manual? And it's like, well, each company might have different forms that they need to fill out in different ways. They might all have different kind of things like requirements, like, oh, we need the middle name here. We don't need the middle name over there. Um, you know, we need a middle initial in this one, you know, and I can, I'm making all this up, but like the reason it would be manual is there would be just this incredible amount of detail. And if the companies that you're dealing with themselves aren't, you know, haven't gone through digital transformation themselves and they're all manual, then, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's incredible challenges there. And I guess I'm curious if you, if you can recall, or if you're willing to talk about it, was it, was it difficult to get the people who were doing the manual work to kind of use new apps or, or tools and things like that? Or was, were they desperate to sort of not do this kind of thing anymore? They, they, they were, they were desperate not to do this. Okay. 
they really wanted we were uh, every release that we did were very celebrated oh so i don't need to do this anymore oh thank god thank god that's awesome because you know often often we hear you know sort of discourse about like oh no automation and the computers are coming for our jobs and it's like that's true and one should be very sensitive about that kind of thing but there are a lot of people who are like thank goodness bring on <laughs> bring on the technology um and so and then and then another uh, uh really interesting experience you had later was as as we already talked about the this this sort of old and well-established real estate company and you mentioned that mindset you learned one of the things about a digital transformation which we'll define in a little bit later uh, you know, as you do in your book, but um, it's somewhat a self-explanatory term, but uh, mindset is, it can be the hardest thing to um, uh, change. There can be, I imagine, just sort of suspicion, and I'm just thinking not of my own experience, but other lead pub authors that I've spoken to over the years and, you know, people who are worried about coming for my job, people who are worried about, well, we've had, we've had numbers and numbers of people come up with like they're they've got the app that's going to solve our problem and every time it's just a mess and they leave after six months and then we've got to learn a new one so what were some of the mindset challenges that you that you experienced uh, in that really interesting position yeah they, they they were they were following the 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 very traditional route of of digital transformation so they raised a lot of money and then they they uh, decided to bring some consultants to to build new things for them. So uh, they had already a CRM, so let's build a new version of the CRM. They had already um, a website where users went to search for properties. So let's build a new version of the website. And uh, a very interesting case also, they decided to build um, uh, an app for the agents, for the brokers. And uh, the reasoning behind that was that uh, the faster the lead, which is the information that someone is interested in uh, in a property, gets to the agent, uh, and the agent replies to this lead, the bigger the chances of evolving this into a negotiation. It's the the, the one one of of sales. Then the faster that you are able to reply, the the, the chances of engaging is 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 uh, bigger. So they decided, oh, let's do, um, uh, let's build an um, an app with push notification. Okay, let's do, build an app with push notification. So they brought a consultancy company to do that, and uh, this consultancy company decided to do a discovery. So let's let's see what we need to put into this app, and they make like five months of discovery, typical work of a, a consultancy. And then they realized there is a lot of things to do. They realized that, uh, for instance, Len is searching for a property like an apartment of uh, uh, two rooms uh, in a certain neighborhood. So is Len uh, registering uh, our database? No, he's not. So let's register Len in our database. So this enters as part of the scope to be built. Uh, so they realized also that the agent they normally search for similar um, properties to send to the to the prospect, so it increases the chances of the prospect getting interested and scheduling a visit to at least one of the properties. So search for the property also enters, so the scope gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and then the app got like a seven months, eight months development. 
And they were calling when I answered the MVP, the minimum viable product. I said, no, we cannot call it MVP. MVP is like a month at maximum. It's like uh, two or three weeks. And uh, then I asked it all of these and they said, well, the, the, the main objective was to make the lead get as fast as possible in the hands of the, the agent. And I said, listen, what we should have done is, okay, let's build the app with the push notification and leave all the rest for the agent to do the way she's used to do. She, she already does that some way, right? And, uh, and I said, there is even more. You can uh, even not build an app. You can send the notification to SMS, right? And say, yeah, that's right. Then I talked to the engineers. And they and asked them, can we do that? Can we build this with uh, the SMS? And they said, yeah, we can. And they went there and they built the notification uh, of the, the lead through the SMS, like in 10 days. So there's one thing that they were expecting for one year. And in 10 days, all the agents were receiving the notification with uh, SMS. So that's the mindset change. The, 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 the people at Lopez, they were very, very focused in building things, building features, building applications, and they forgot the result they were after. The result was we need to make the lead get as fast as possible into the hands of the agent, no matter how. Can be an app or can be an SMS or can be whatever. It doesn't matter. We just need the fastest way possible to build this uh, way to take the lead into the hands of the, of the agent. So this is the type of uh, mindset change that I started to, to, to implement then. And I was very lucky when I entered Lopez to have this, uh, this uh, scenario because I used as an, uh, that as an example Whenever people from the business side came, hey, I have a great idea, let's implement this. And I said, okay, that's a good idea, but what is the result we are after? Because maybe, remember the app with push notification, maybe we can find an easier to implement solution to that. So that's the mindset uh, yeah, that I was about. That's a really excellent story. Uh, that's really great. And it, it actually gives me a good opportunity to segue to the next uh, part of the interview where we talk about your book, uh, Digital Transformation and Product Culture, How to Put Technology at the Center of Your Company's Strategy. Uh, and I love that word, how. It's very important there because you have a great Venn diagram in your book where you talk about basically the company's goals and strategies and things like that. The customer's kind of needs and challenges and, and, and problems and things like that. And then overlapping both of those is at the very small part of the center of the Venn diagram is available technologies. Um, uh, but it's not all available technologies. It's not the most complex available technologies. If you want to do a digital transformation and then, and then, and then after we're, and we'll talk about the distinction between that and product management, it's choosing the right ones, uh, is, is of course the role of the person who's like brought in to, to do the digital or guide the digital transformation is not, it's not just everything. It's not the most complex thing. It's not necessarily the latest thing. Uh, it might be something as sort of like essentially kind of simple as SMS, if that's what you need to accomplish your goal. Um, so I guess the first thing I wanted to ask you about the book is, um, uh, I'll just, I'll just read, I don't, I'm going to ask you to sort of memorize or, or whatever, but I'll read, I'll read your words back to you about the definition of digital transformation and maybe ask you a little bit of to, to just expand on it and what it sort of means in practice. 
Uh, so the, the, you define digital transformation as the adoption of digital technologies to enhance the business by offering a better experience in the customer journey and operational efficiency gains coming from automation and improvement to the company's processes. So yeah, if you could just maybe expand a little bit, a little bit on that about, for example, what you might mean by automation there. Yeah, in terms of automation, I, I actually I remember a lot of uh, the gene pairs of experience because the automation, it's it's clear that you can uh, gain a lot of that uh, from that because uh, when you automate things, uh, you can gain speed because things get done faster. You gain uh, consistency. Uh, because things get done at the same way, uh, not necessarily right, but consistency. Uh, if it's wrong, it's always wrong in the same way. Right? Oh, yeah. So, um, and uh, and this is this is very important because it's free. It frees up uh, people to do other more complex tasks. So that's why I, I mentioned previously that the, the operations people were happy. Uh, they were thanking every new uh, automation that we did at Pass because they 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 got free to work on more complex and more interesting things that they wanted to work, but they didn't uh, had space to work because they needed to do that uh, uh, manual task. So uh, that's that's the, that's what's behind this automation. Yeah, and it, it's interesting too that there's a, a key word in your definition there is um, uh, adoption. Digital transformation is the adoption of digital technologies. Um, yeah. And one thing you talk about in your book, but I'd, I'd just like to ask you directly, how important is it to have digitally savvy CFOs and CTOs and CEOs in companies that are undergoing digital transformation? I mean, there's the desire to do it, but there's also the sort of, again, mindset of, of understanding like what digital transformation means. It's it's super super important, and uh, I know that uh, we don't have enough people with uh, uh, enough experience, especially with hands-on experience with uh, um, creating and implementing a digital strategy. So that's that's uh, why we need to find, and that's why I think the the Lopez movement in 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 going after someone with experience and bringing someone experience makes a lot of sense because you need someone that have has been there and has been uh, able to build successfully uh, digital products. So um, yeah, it's not so easy to find. Even in the in the book, I mentioned a a, a survey done by. MIT, where they mentioned that only 7% of the companies has uh, digitally savvy C-levels. Obviously, this varies by position and this varies by industry, but uh, the numbers are very uh, uh, shocking, to say the least, because uh, even CTOs, they, they were able to find the CTOs of big companies. They, I believe they surveyed almost 2,000 big companies uh in 2020 and uh they realized that the cto's the chief technology officers only 45 or 40 something percent are are digitally savvy i mean you don't have a cto that is digitally saved that was that was, is able to build digital products that has experience building digital products so that's concerning so 
the way the way forward is to bring and and there is people that that there is people that has this experience the, the more tech companies there are like google uh facebook and and netflix and and amazon there's a lot of people there with uh, very good experience on how to build uh good digital products we use those products every day we like those products so we need to to bring these people to 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 these companies in order to 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 do this uh, to help in this uh, digital transformation journeys of these companies. Yeah, that that's it's interesting. You get a sort of like there's a kind of uh, an interesting kind of demographic challenge. You know, like how many people are there out there who've actually had the experience to to sort of do to do digital products and digital transformation and things like that. And of course, the amount is going to grow over time, but. You reminded me of something that's come up on this podcast a number of times in the past and that I've had some personal experience with, which is like older models of, um, let's say, business management, like old, old, like, you know, what you would have learned in MBA school, you know, 40 years ago, technology was a box, right? It was a box underneath management and you hired tech guys and it was guys typically at the, at the time, right? You know, it was a very gendered kind of thing. It still is, um, unfortunately, but you know, it was a box that you, you, you hired people who had expertise in that, but you didn't have to have any domain expertise as it's sometimes called in technology. And in fact, often, and this is me sort of being kind of opinionated here, often actually, if you wanted to be in management or an executive, you had to demonstrate that you didn't know anything about technology, because if you did, you'd get put in that box and you'd never get up out of it. Uh, but what's happened with the sort of like, you know, what's happened over time with things like, you know, I mean, sort of the more, some of the more famous examples are obviously Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. I mean, very different kind of approaches to understanding the technology, but Bill Gates was in the form of actually knowing how to program computers. And Steve Jobs was in the, in the version of like, it's not embarrassing to actually put your hands on the product and understand it from literally the hands-on level. Whereas in the past, if you knew what a program, you weren't going to be CEO. And if you actually like cared about touching products, you weren't going to be CEO. Uh, you show up with the hard hat at the factory, maybe, or something like that, then <laughs> in a tie. Uh, but that's it. And so, uh, so you're saying this is actually changing, though. That now there's just you know coming from these companies like Google, there's more and more people entering the kind of senior levels of companies who do have some experience, even though there's not enough yet. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's that's exactly the point. And. Uh... The more we are able to bring these people to the traditional companies, the more we are able to 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 bring this uh, digital savviness, so to speak, into those uh, traditional companies. Because it, it, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting concept that I only notice uh, after like twenty five years in my career, twenty seven years in my career, because. In the beginning of my career, until like Contazul, uh, before I entered Engine Pass, I thought that technology was the center of the world, right? Everything <laughs> was uh, around technology because the product was technology. LocalWeb was about technology. Contazul, the name of the company, was the name of the product, my own company also. When I entered Engine Pass, what we sold was not the technical product. What we sold was... Uh, a corporate benefit and the, the digital product was a way for us to make this product get the, to the to the clients and if we think for instance netflix we don't subscribe to netflix because of their digital product we subscribe 
because of their movies and their uh, uh, series, uh, we went to Amazon uh, to buy things. We don't went to Amazon to buy their e-commerce software. Uh, so they, they are more traditional companies, but they were born with technology. So they were able to have the technology from the very, very beginning, from the inception of the company. And that's how they are so successful and they are able to disrupt traditional companies. They are in the traditional uh, uh, business, but they were born. This is something that I said in the book. This is the third type of, of companies. We have the digital companies that sell technology. We have traditional companies that are the traditional banks and, and real estate and, and airlines and and other things, and we have what I call the the born digital traditional companies like uh, Netflix, like Jingpass, like Amazon, and the reason they are very very successful is that they are able to put business and technology side by side. The two of them are able to take decisions about the vision, the strategy. It's not only the business that take decisions, and it's not only technology that take decisions. The two of them take decisions together. And when we go to the traditional companies, what happens is that they are used to have the business people taking the, all the decisions and say, hey, IT team, implement this, implement that, implement a website, implement an app. And that's not how the successful born digital traditional companies like Netflix, like uh, Amazon, like Jingpass work. They work having tech, and business people sitting side by side, each of them bringing their own expertise and they're exchanging and they're building the vision, the strategy and executing the strategy together. Yeah, no, that's 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 very well very well put and very well said and and very hard earned experience as well. Um, and and something that sort of becomes very clear in the book as well is um, the uh, that you talk about. Um, ubiquitous language and stuff like that and how that's so important to you and one thing i just wanted to sort of say to anyone listening is that the choice of words that you're making is very careful uh mm -hmm. when, you, when you talk about things like this and there's a really good reason for that which is you want to be able to sort of talk to people across business and technology and have the same terms um mm -hmm. that, they, that they understand in a shared way they might implement them differently uh but 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 to have these kind of shared terms is, is really really important um the last question i guess i'd like to ask you about the book um, is about the other part of it that I mentioned. So digital product management. Um, and so, well, digital transformation is the adoption. And now I'm going to quote, quote you back at yourself again, digital product management quote is the function responsible for making the connection between the company strategy and customer problems and needs through digital technologies. Uh, this person must at the same time, help the company achieve its strategic objectives, solve problems and meet customer needs. And so I'm wondering if as part of product management and bringing up this concept of ubiquitous language is it how do you how do you bring the customers in to kind of a shared language or do you to kind of a shared language as a product manager so that you can like we've talked about business and the technology side of the company but there's the sort of product side of the company and the customers themselves um, is that something that one would do in product management is try and find what are what are the terms that the customers use or what are the terms that we should get them to use things like that Definitely, definitely. This is this is a very important part of the of the, the the role of the product manager. Product manager is a very important function 
in 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 product development in digital product development and as you mentioned is the role that makes this connection between the objectives of the company the the, the problems and needs of the customer and the technology and uh, and in order to do that uh, the, this person needs to, to understand the customer understand the problems that the customer has uh, understand the motivation that the problem that, sorry, the motivation that the customer has to to have the problem solved, um, understand the context where the 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 client, the customer, uh, has the problem. So it's it's a lot of research that needs to be done. This this customer understanding is very very important in order for a person to to understand uh, what needs to be built. Uh, what can be built in order to 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 solve the problem? Normally, um, a good a pair for the product manager uh, in order to understand the customer is a person that we call product designer or user experience designer, um, and is a, a person that works together with the product manager in this uh, what I call the problem discovery, understanding the problem, understanding. What type of problem we try to solve? To whom? Why we are trying to solve this problem? So this is uh, a, a very important part of uh, understanding, and actually is one of the four principles that I cite as the the principles of the the product culture. This is the focus on the problem, understanding the problem prior to jumping to to solutions, because we tend as humans we tend to jump into solution mode as soon as we heard about the problem, uh, we think about the solution and then we want to implement the first solution that we think about. And uh, ideally what we need to do is understand more about the problem and then start to, to create solution hypotheses. Not one and not two, but uh, many solution hypotheses to see if Maybe I'm able to find the, the cheapest and fastest to, to, to implement as possible. Like the example that I gave with the, the app, with push notification for brokers and the, 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 the SMS. Uh, they jumped into the, the first idea that they have. Let's build an app with push notification. If they had uh, uh, waited a little bit and, and thought more about uh, what are the options or solution options that we have here, they could maybe come up with the, the SMS or here in Brazil people use a lot WhatsApp or notification through WhatsApp or any other solution. So uh, this understanding of the problem is very important and give us a space to, to, to create a solution hypothesis and find the cheapest and fastest solution hypothesis. Yeah, that's interesting. You're lighting me up a kind of personal distinction I have between doing something in a rush and doing it quickly. Um, yeah. going out the door without tying your shoes, you're out, you're out, you're out faster than if you tie them, but that's getting out in a rush because you're going to start tripping. Uh, getting out quickly is tying your shoes faster. Um, uh, you know, not, not getting out without tying them. Uh, and so, yeah. And so, um, uh, but yeah, you mentioned the four principles at the end there. Um, uh, these four principles, I'll just, before we go on to the last part of the interview, just to give some people a, an impression of the sort of detail that that goes into, uh, the principles for digital, the four the principles for digital transformation that you set out are uh, fast and frequent deliveries, focus on the problem, result delivery, this resulting being a, a key sort of uh, concept that you have, and ecosystem mentality. And if you want to learn more about these, 
please go buy the book. Uh, it's really good. Uh, and it's, it's very clearly written, I should say, uh, and very, very informative. Um, so just moving on to the last part of the interview, uh, where we always like to talk to people briefly about their experience as a writer. So you've written a few books. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm sure they're one of the reasons to write them is because you want to get your ideas out there and things like that. But also if you are going to be or are already setting yourself up as a consultant, having having books out there is a really great way for people to discover you and get confidence in you and what you know before they bring you on board. Um, what's your approach to writing? Do you write every day? Do you write on the weekends? How do you go about doing it? Or is it arbitrary? It, it varies. Each book was different. Uh, this one, uh, basically what I did is uh, I had already some articles that I had written for my uh, blog. I have a blog where I post frequently. I try to write every week an article for my, 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 my blog. And uh, I already had some, and I look at them, and I saw mm, they 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 sort of make uh, uh, a seed for <laughs> for a book. So I started to look at it and and see the the, the skeleton there, the the final quarter, I should say, and uh, and then having this structure defined, then I started to fill in the blanks. So. Uh, oh, I'm missing some information here or missing some more examples here. So then I started to, to write what I was missing. And uh, what I did was I started to write, it uh, was not every day, but it was uh, at least every week. I had this compromise to writing a little bit, at least a uh, few pages, five to ten pages every week. So I oh, was able to get some some progress. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I like how, you know, you sort of just um, perhaps even unconsciously have a result oriented kind of, uh, kind of, um, uh, you know, tactic there, right. Which is X number of pages. Cause there's a lot of people who end like every to each their own, it's X number of hours. That's most yeah. important to them. Uh, and I mean, I'm definitely more of a kind of, you know, the, the results kind of thing, right. You know, the, the hours are kind of, unless you're like, unless you're getting paid by the hour, <laughs> the, the, the hours that you spend are not the result that, that you're looking for. Um, the last question I like to ask people on the podcast, if the guest is, is a LeanPub author is, um, if when you're using LeanPub, there was one feature you really just wish we had, or there was one terrible problem with it that you were just shaking your fist at the screen going, damn you, LeanPub. Why do you suck? Why can't you fix this? So if there was one thing you could ask us to build or one thing you could ask us to fix, can you think of anything you would ask us to do? No, no. Uh, we, I have some, some, some doubts about uh, the Markua language because I've been using the Markua language and uh, some things that I, I, I think it's a bit difficult to 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 run and 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 uh, create the 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 book and see if it worked or not. It's like compiling the 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 program sort of, and uh, if there were a way to 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 see the the uh, what we are building faster, it was it would be good. But uh, other than that, uh, I'm very satisfied with the way uh, it works. It works quite quite well. And uh, and I even been looking in a way to create uh, from the 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 digital book to create the physical book to to uh, self publish the physical book. So that will be my my next step. I'm probably gonna try this with my 
my last book. Oh, well, that would that'd be really great. Um, I would say two, yeah, two things. We do hear that from the, the first thing you said every once in a while. I mean, if you write a book on, one thing to note for anyone listening, if you want to publish a book on LeanPub, you can just make the book any way you like and upload the EPUB and or the PDF to LeanPub and then access all of our other awesome features uh, and publish it and get 80% royalties and all that. But if you want to, the sort of like heart of LeanPub is writing in plain text in LeanPub. And then if you if you know what, imagine writing on a computer, you actually are a typewriter and you wanted to give it to a machine to make a book out of it, you'd have to type the instructions out for like, this is a chapter heading and stuff like that. And there's a very much more efficient way and less explicit way of doing this. Um, Markdown was the inspiration for it. That was for doing the same thing, but for websites, basically, or blog posts. Uh, Markua is the way of doing that for books. Um, and it can it is, it is kind of like, this will sound much more daunting than it should, but it is kind of like writing a little program that you give to a machine that then sort of knows what to do with it. And so, and that can, that can if, depending on what you're doing, like if you're writing paragraphs with chapter headings, you can learn everything you need to know in literally 10 seconds. Uh, but if you start doing more complex things like you do in your book, like tables and things like that, then it can start to get, especially if you don't have a programming background, it can start to break your brain a little bit uh, and things like that. And having an immediate uh, rendering. So if you're writing in plain text, say in the browser, in your web browser and writing on one side and having it show up magically on the right, exactly what it's going to look like in the PDF, for example, is something that we've had a lot of people ask for. Um, when it comes to getting into print, yeah, we provide, I'm just going to mention, we provide the print ready PDF output uh, that you need. So if you write your book in plain text in LeapHub, you can just click a button and get what you need to publish on Amazon or something like that. We also have our own publish on Amazon service that we offer now ourselves. It's relatively new and it's it's there for people who just don't want to learn how to how to do Amazon and don't want to manage all the weird Amazon payment processes and stuff like that. But in any case, Yoko, thank you very much for taking the time out of the day uh, to uh, talk to me and to talk to all of us. And thank you very much for using LeapBub as a platform for your really great books. Oh, thank you. Thank you for inviting me and thank you to, for posting the, the LeapBub there for us authors. It's, it's a very good service and I, I really enjoy it. My four books are there and I I normally uh, talk to people, if you want to make a book, go there and in pub, it works really well. It's a very fine uh, platform for you. Oh, thank you very much for that. And as always, thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of the Front Matter Podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate and review it wherever you found it. And if you'd like to be a Lean Pub author yourself, please check out our website at leanpub.com. Thanks.